Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Ask almost anybody who's been to summer camp, whether they be kids or staff members, and they'll tell you, it is awesome. They will also tell you through their words, but mostly through their actions, that they learn a ton while there too. As a longtime camp director, youth sport coach, and father to three growing young men, I know the lessons that we learn at camp can be hugely beneficial for all of us back home in the real world. So, each week, I'll spend some time around the digital campfire talking with professionals from inside and around the summer camp world. We'll share their lessons, their ideas, and their practices in a way that I hope will be immediately useful for your life back home. So, pull up a seat, get your marshmallow ready to roast, and let's spend some time learning together around the campfire. For the first time in my professional life, I have some pretty serious concerns about summer camp opening. It's not what I want to even think about it. However, as Mr. Rogers used to say, if it's human, it's mentionable. And if it's mentionable, it's manageable. So I'm managing my concerns by talking with a lot of great people and people a lot smarter than I am. Like many other cultural institutions, summer camp has been greatly affected by COVID-19. Thankfully, there are a number of wonderful resources helping us all learn more and divine a future forward. Whether it's the actions of the American Camp Association National Office or our local ACA offices, the Jewish Federation of Camps, our local Department of Health, the CDC, they're all doing what they can to determine a safe path forward for all of us. The other resource we have are those who have lived through something similar. When all this started happening, one of the first people I thought of was a guy named Bobby Harris, the longtime camp director of URJ Camp Coleman. While Bobby has been in camping a little longer than I have, we've got a lot of connections. We spent a lot of time in Boston. We've got experiences leading multiple camps. And we also had a virus that brought us together originally 12 years ago. Heck, he's even got one of our former campers playing guitar on his main webpage. So we got a lot of connections. This is a perfect time to learn from the past and to take inspiration of that past for the future. Bobby Harris is the right camp director to provide both. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation around the campfire with my friend, Bobby Harris. Bobby Harris, I'm so happy to have you around the campfire. Great to be here. Thanks for reaching out. Of course. So you have been in camping for a long time. Um, How did you get started in this? Because I've, I've heard your name from, I don't know, Tom Rosenberg, tons of people. You know, you're, you're known throughout camping. How did you get started? So, um, my freshman year in college, I was a political science major and really wanted to get into politics. And uh, I had a cousin who promised me a job, political job. He said he had all these connections. And I was sending out my resume, you know, in those days, it was just typewriters, (laughs) typewriters and mail. And like, I got no answers from any resumes. I, I Contacted my cousin again. He's like, just be patient, be patient. But there was nothing. Mm-hmm. So I found myself in the summer between freshman and sophomore year with nothing going on. And I came home and I was at Boston University. My father said, you know, you got to make some money now. Like if you're not going to, you know, you're not going to just kick around in mm-hmm. the house. So um, I started going out to do like these, I thought I would like telemarketing and door-to-door marketing research. I thought like that's with people and you could talk to them. And I found myself um, 
knocking on doors to find, you know, a certain demographic. It was like how, uh, women at home in the afternoons who used NyQuil or something like that. <laughs> so I'd have to find a quota of people. I'd go door to door and people just weren't interested. And uh, then I was also had this other job where we were selling coupon books. And, you know, I still remember the guy saying, the next one who sells, he rang a bell. If you sell one in the next 10 minutes, you're going to get this dollar right here. And, you know, I was like studying all this left-wing ideology at, at, um, at school. And then mm-hmm. I was completely not connecting to this. I had always worked with kids and every summer up until then. And, and I just was really unhappy. And I was over at the swim club of the Jewish Community Center and the executive director who knew me from all the high school years I had worked, he said, hey, what are you doing this summer? I said, well, I have these jobs I really don't like. He said, you know, they need some help at overnight camp, our overnight camp. I'm a Kaufman camp in West Virginia. And I'd always wanted to go to camp. I had a whole thing where I never went to camp and my mm-hmm. parents wanted me to go to a specific camp that I felt I felt would be too strict for me. So we had kind of a standoff for my entire adolescence because I did not go to that camp. <laughs> and I just was dying. And I was trying so hard to like break the wall of their resistance to go to these other camps, including the one that I ended up being a counselor at that summer. Oh, funny, and they wouldn't funny. let me go. And then I had, I went there and I thought like, this is a great thing. Like I loved it. I always knew I would love it and loved being a counselor. Yep. And then what happened was, um, Okay, so I did that for three years, counselor, unit head, et cetera. Then I graduated from college, and my first job that I took, they wanted, uh, it's in the Young Judea movement. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned Tom. Tom directed Camp Judea yeah. before he became American Camp Association president. So that's the camp that I was hired by Young Judea, and they said, well, we really like our regional directors to go to camp in the summer. And I was like, aha. Another great carrot to get me to take this job. So there I was. uh, I went down there. I was 23. And I went back when I was 24. And the director at the time, I was talking to him one time. And I was like, "Ah." and I I just saw the incredible impact we were having on these kids. Mm -hmm. And I just felt it was different. You know, I'm from the Jewish camp background. Mm -hmm. And so it was different for me because this was a camp in which it wasn't just that almost all the kids were Jewish. It was a camp in which they were kind of immersed in learning, and but in a really, really cool and fun way. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm an educator at heart, and this really spoke to me, the whole idea of having these kids, you know, away from home mm-hmm. and being able to really have them as a captive audience and to really plan these amazing programs for them. We ended up taking kids to Washington, D.C. I remember standing at the Lincoln Memorial and telling all the kids, this is where Martin Luther King stood and, you know, talking about our connection to what he was saying and just the whole, the whole, like, immersion and uh, the gestalt, like the whole. Sure. Sort of so so you, you took the kids to the Lincoln Memorial. That is what a, an impressive, awesome. I'm I'm getting chills actually thinking about that because it's such a place of history. Yeah, I mean the whole the whole trip. We came, you know, we went to D.C. It wasn't a trip that I actually I, I did actually end up planning the trip because um, I lived in D.C. Mm-hmm. 
a trip that had preceded me that was part of the Camp Judea curriculum. And I just came into it and, uh, you know, I was able to put my own spin on it. But I just remember the kids saying, are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, like that was 1984. Mm. That was 21 years after King did it. And it seemed like so long ago in 84. And now when I think back, it's like, you know, (laughs) twice as many years since 84. You know, so it was actually quite recent history. You just don't know it when you're in it. Right. And um, so it was pretty profound. But the whole, it wasn't just that event. It was just the whole way that that camp was oriented to to sort of create these amazing programs that were fun, where you, you know, kind of like you don't even know that education is actually taking place, but it is. Mm-hmm. And they really enjoy it. And I think that's what I fell in love with about informal education, experiential education on all levels. And sort of that's who I am at heart. When I went to the director and I said, I'm, I'm going to do this, I intended to do it for a couple of years. I ended up getting a job in New York City uh, where I live, but upstate New York was the camp that I directed when I was, I think I was 26 when I started. I don't know why they hired a guy that was 26. <laughs> and I learned a whole lot, you know, ever since. Yeah, it's funny, you know, they, they hired me to be a camp director when I was 28. And I feel the same way. Like, what, what the heck were they doing? <laughs> I, know. I know. So true. Well, it's interesting to me how the, your earlier job experiences really kind of play in in some ways that the fact that you were talking to people, trying to build relationships, you're trying to sell them something. But I mean, that definitely was in some ways a feather in your, your preparation cap to start working at camp and the political side of things, you know, certainly we're not uh, political, uh, you know, at, at summer camp, but we are definitely want to figure out how do people interact with each other and how can you come together and, and make agreements and move forward? You know, so it's interesting how there's a lot of your past that really prepared you to become a camp director that you wouldn't even thought of. On some level as an educator and a relationship builder. Yes. Um, You know, I was, I ended up being pretty good in marketing. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of, as you know, Cole, you know, we are, we are a profession that is uh, generalist. We are general end up spending most of our time talking with people who are experts and know more about what we're talking about then we know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's the person, the engineer coming in to talk about your wastewater treatment facility or the medical director who's talking about, you know, how to deal with, you know, the containment of a virus. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, we're just consistently asking the right questions. And that is, I think, what got me through is being able to ask the right questions over time and figure out what to do to, to, to make sure we're, we're running a, a good business and uh, in a business-like way and, um, you know, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what's going on. So. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because our initial connection um, – 
came because you were listening to people smarter than you in a specific area. This I'll take us back real quickly so our listeners can hear. In 2009, summer 2009, um, you had been running Camp Coleman for a number of years in Northeast right. Georgia. I had literally just started on June 1 uh, directing Camp Wequaic. Um, and Wequaic at that time is kind of had had a little bit of a hard time. Um, the population had, had dwindled a little bit and we were charged to bring it back up. And I got a phone call from a family from South Florida saying, Camp Coleman just decided to close their first session for the H1N1 flu. Um, and can we come to camp? And I remember calling you and saying, Bobby, you don't know me. I got this family. I want to do right by them. I want to do right by you. What can I do to help? You said, Cole, take them. No problem. Um, they came. I think we had like 17, 18 kids show up. A lot of them wind up going back to you the next couple of years. But you had done something that I don't know anybody else in camping, camping that had done. You, you closed a camp for the safety of your kids and your staff. Uh, and I, I can't tell you how much I respect you for making that decision because that, that must have been really difficult. So, uh, yeah, it was completely different because, you know, right now, here we are in 2020 and um, we're looking at the coronavirus and we've known about this for at least the last several weeks. So we're making a lot of contingency plans and we're planning. What happened in 2009 was a complete shock. Mm -hmm. We started camp, you know, we were aware that, you know, somewhere there was H1N1, you know, and it was kind of a vague thing that really wasn't a big deal at the beginning of the summer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we finally saw the week of staff week, um, there was a lot of interaction. And then three of our staff, we had to take to the hospital because they weren't getting better. And we found out that they had this strand of the flu. And then by the Friday night of the staff week, we're opening on Sunday and Friday night, we ended up having a, a van load of people come back from the hospital, all testing positive. Oh. So we had 21 people at camp with this quarantine thing going on. So we had to take several cabins to actually put these kids in and staff in for the quarantining. And we realized that, you know, we were at this, this brink of realizing that asking the question is sort of a hard question to bring up on the Friday before camp's opening two days. Mm -hmm. The position we are now, we're a couple months away or so, you know, from opening camp. Um, but we were literally two days, less than 48 hours away from opening camp and asking the question, is it safe to bring kids here right now? Right. And, you know, truthfully, we had no place to put them uh, because we had a capacity camp. We were using several cabins for, for, um, for quarantine. So we really didn't have a way to do it. And so we realized that we had to we had to make some other plans and, you know, we're a nonprofit, we have a board. So we got the permission from the board on final permission by making a lot of appeals and, uh, you know, sort of stating the case for this, our camp. Uh, Saturday night, we get this, uh, we get this, um, the permission, but it was not before actually uh, I actually gave the final charge. I literally remember Cole standing in front of our staff 
after dinner saying, okay, this is the final night before the kids come because I still hadn't gotten the call that it was okay to postpone. Yeah. Up there, you know, just doing what I have to do, you know, doing the deep, the, the camp opening shtick to our staff. And I, then I dismiss them to go back to their cabins. As I'm dismissing them, my cell phone rings and I'm being told that, yes, you have permission now to postpone. So I literally tell people to get everybody to come back inside the dining room. We're talking about, I've just been five minutes ago. Oh. And now I'm calling them back in. And I said, listen, this is going to sound sort of like an April Fool's thing. It's not. Like, I, I know that five minutes ago I told you we're opening. However, I just received this call from our board. They were all in New Orleans at the time. They were having a meeting, a North American board meeting, and saying, like, um, yeah, you can postpone. This is like 8 o'clock at night. Wow. Saturday night. So we the, the thing that was happened then was that we gathered – we got people in, you know, we sort of told, we had told our leadership team first, you know, you know, that this might happen. And, um, they were, a couple of them were crying and, uh, what we had to do quickly was get people into teams to make calls. We had to call 400 families. Wow. And let them know that this has happened. You know, many of them already en route to camp. One family had already left for Europe, dropped their child off at another uh, family's house to take them to get the airplane the next day. And we were literally with a script written, calling everybody. Some people were getting calls at midnight, you know, saying, Hey, and it's surreal to them. They're like, what are you talking about? Sure. Uh, And then we had to come up with uh, our whole refund policy. We had to come up with, we were planning to then open you know, we didn't make an official close on that night. We just said we're postponing. So some people had already been at camp and arrived on opening day at the gate, not knowing this, not having gotten the messages. Their cell phones didn't work, perhaps, where they were staying. Mm-hmm. They had no idea. And then they showed up at the gate. So we had to have people not enter camp because of the flu. So we had people at the gate telling people we're really sorry. It was chaotic. Um, then we had to sort of come up with a plan about other camps they could go to, how the refunds would work, how we also had to, we had to also refund airplane tickets Mm. because, you know, it was something that, you know, they didn't have a chance to get out of or anything. Sure. They were in it. It was within that time. Um, and so we also had to face the question of what do we do with our staff? Mm Mm-hmm because our staff was going to be there for an entire time. And what were we going to do with them? When we finally made the decision, I think on, on that Tuesday, I think I finally on Wednesday, we sent out a note Wednesday morning saying we're not opening at all till second session. Um, we told the staff that they, we would honor their contract to stay and work at camp for the month or because it wasn't what they bargained for to work directly with kids. They could also go home either way. Sure. Something else. So only one person actually quit. Huh. <laughs> the rest of the staff stayed. And we then had to pivot and create all kinds of projects for them to do. And they weren't they weren't really the most 
interested or gifted in the projects that we were given. <laughs> and we didn't necessarily have enough equipment, enough shop, enough people. Like we just didn't have, and we didn't have enough leaders of, of people that were good in those things mm-hmm. sort of distribute among all the different groups. I mean, we're talking about like 160, 170 people. Right. That's just a lot of people to sort of take care of and uh, keep occupied day and night. But we had a program committee and we had, you know, a projects committee and we have a lot of nice things that were created, murals in our infirmary and different welcome signs into camp. Our Jewish cooking room was, was a beautiful mural was in there of all kinds of foods and just all kinds of things were done that still are remnants of that particular summer that are beautiful. What what are the other from the the campers and the family standpoint? What were what's been the ramifications of of closing that? Because I mean that's a, a very sudden jarring thing. I imagine most people are like I can't believe this. Very like you said surreal. But what was the ripple effect going forward for your families uh, in the you camp? Know, the Coleman people were pretty. I mean they were shocked. They were devastated. Um, there were very few criticisms of it mm-hmm. um, you know people that were just maybe angry because they felt like it was an overreaction mm-hmm. she clearly was not but mm-hmm. uh, but just the, the people were pretty supportive just also extremely disappointed and appreciated uh, you know us us talking to them and telling them what was going on Um and, you know, I remember that, you know, it's a big deal to be in the 10th grade program at camp, and the ones that are rising 10th graders. Mm-hmm. A number of them actually showed up to sort of right outside the gate and started doing cheers, you know, midway through first session. <laughs> had to step foot on our property. So I remember that and uh, different people like around the region of uh, the Southeast that where most of our kids uh, are from they were having like little camps in their areas and um you know they just called like parents stepped up and hosted different people and just let friends get together which was really sweet and amazing and you know we posted a lot of those things like up and uh, on our picture page and then um we also had our 10th graders we arrange for them. We have a trip where they go sort of a civil rights, human rights trip. Mm-hmm. Actually did have that trip for the 10th graders. That's great. The first session. So that, that was great. It was a little longer. We made it a week. It's usually four days. So they really appreciated our different efforts. And then what happened is 110 kids from the first session, uh, actually, we, we put into the second session. Got it. So, Having the 510 campers, you know, the largest session we've ever had um, in in second session of 09. So we were able to salvage about one-fourth of the, the campers um, from first session to come second. Got it. So that was good. Um, yeah. And then going forward, I know Coleman has just thrived since that point. Yeah. That's an amazing part, uh, you know, about Coleman that, um, yeah, like we, we did thrive. I mean, one of the things we learned, Cole, is that 
we had 400 kids at a time. I'd always, we had just been through a renovation of our cabin uh, over the, the years leading up to 09. We had been basically renovating all, and expanding all of our cabins. Mm-hmm. What I did, what I had been doing there is just giving people more room in the cabins, but sort of keeping the same number of kids but allowing them to have more uh, space within the cabin to sit down in a circle and have a sure. cabin, things like that. Um, when 09 came along, I, you know, we, we really wanted to do, do as best as we could for our families. And so I was determined to try to find as much space as possible. So, you know, we added more kids to bunks that I wouldn't normally not done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a typical summer. And what I found, what we found was that actually it didn't make such a difference to add two kids or, or so to each cabin. So going on from there, I actually learned that our capacity was actually greater than. (laughs) So I, you know, one of the lessons I learned was, and our capacity actually did expand. And from, uh, from having, you know, we had had 800 kids per summer and two years from then, we actually had 900 kids. Wow. Yeah, so we made a big comeback. Um, and I think that's really an important point for this time. In which mm-hmm. Because I did close camp. We did close camp, camp that summer. And, um, you know, it was empty. And, you know, I can tell you that Sometimes as a camp director, you know, people tell you how great camp is and how much they love it and everything. Um, and, you know, I've done this as long as I've done it. I say, okay, great. You know, like I've heard how meaningful it is, but at some point you say, well, you know, is it really that meaningful? Sure. Uh, you, you, you say, Does it really make this big difference? You, you know, even though so many people tell us, but when you lose something, you know, it's like the Joni Mitchell song, you know, mm-hmm. know what you got till it's gone. They paid paradise, you know, yep. song. Um, I truly, we truly lived it at Camp Coleman. We didn't know really what we had because you really don't know until it's actually gone. And you walk around camp without the kids and you just see it's just, it's hard is missing. Yep so hard and the families are devastated and you really hear this deep sorrow this deep loss and you realize just how important it is i realized just how and all of us i think did because you really felt the loss you really did feel it and um so you come back roaring and because you start realizing we all started realizing like how meaningful it is to have Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another story in why we came back roaring because we lost it and it was beyond sad, but you do, we did, we did get over it. And I want to say every camp, you know, I know some camps financially this summer may not make it if they have to close. This is terribly sad. And hopefully the loan programs and things that are going on out there will be helpful. I sure hope so. Um, if people are in a position to come back, I think everybody in the camp industry will be even stronger mm-hmm. as of this major loss and the realizing 
of what that means. Right. That's internalized so deeply that uh, I really want to say there is a light, a, 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 a great big light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah. It's guiding our way to hope and and uh, to reach to reach this other milestone. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, we're talking right now. It's April third, so we're you know so much has changed in the last three weeks here in the United States and around the world. And and you know, I imagine there'll be a lot of change here coming up. But what what would be some of, what's some of your advice to to First to camp people, and secondly to, to families. You know, we we don't know if camps are going to open. We don't know if camps are going to open later than normal. I know everybody I talk to in the camp industry is preparing for open, and will be ready as soon as the green light is given. We just don't know when, you know, or possibly if that green light will be given for for our kids and families. But what, what would you, from your past experience, what what would you tell people in terms of advice leading up to this? I know your first situation was, you know, basically immediate. You had to deal with it right then. Now, now, like you said earlier, we, we've got time to think about this and prepare. How would you counsel camp people and, and families um, to prepare for, for all the different eventualities this summer? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know that, this is one of those things where I don't know that I'm the expert in that. So right. I'm not going to uh, totally run away from the question, but I, I probably think that uh, other people probably could could give better answers than me. Uh, what I would say is that um, that this is like beyond camp. What I've been finding is, uh, you know, people are facing layoffs and jobs, cutbacks, and there's so many things going on in our country right now. People's loved ones. They know somebody that is affected and not healthy. They maybe lost somebody. Uh, people are having a hard time psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, dealing with cabin fever and all kinds of things like this. And uh, what I have found that's been happening in many of my conversations is, I mean, not all of them, but this deep sense of gratitude for what people have. Mm-hmm. Attention on what people have, like they have their health. Um, maybe they still have a job. Um, they have their feel support, maybe from others and from people, you know, helping them out in some ways. Even maybe the stimulus bill, mm-hmm. organizations out. So, part of this is to realize this: this is hopefully a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And to realize that, uh, you know, it is a loss and to to sort of see if uh, the camps can arrange some kinds of gatherings virtually uh, so that these kids can still stay in touch, that the camp be sensitive to. We had a parent call with our entire camp community last night. And one of the parents asked if, you know, we were going to maybe look at unions for for different groups in the fall at camp and things like that if we don't have camp. And I think looking at those kinds of things to give some hope that, you know, we're there for them, that we're mm-hmm. thinking about them, and uh, that we care about them. And, um, you know, we're looking at different programming. We've been doing some virtual programming and, you know, having uh, self-defense lessons and <laughs> cooking lessons on, on, on our channel. 
And so you can tune in at different times. Uh, so like there's all kinds of camp gatherings that we're having. We're having one tomorrow night. Um, so to kind of keep the communication and connection between camp and the families there to be available to them. And, uh, you know, I'm always about where do you put your attention? Right. Again, I would put my attention on what I'm grateful for. Grateful that we still have camp. That we will have camp. You know, we will have camp this year. We will have camp uh, in some way. Yep. And we will have camp next year. And we're going to be there. And we're going to get through this together. And, um, and it's sad. And to not, to not actually... Um, deny that in any way it is terribly sad and we have to be there for our people and recognize that um you know, that we that that's going on while not letting it um stop us from doing all that we can do yeah i think that's such an important message to to recognize where you're at right now and and honor that um and remain grateful and hopeful for the future because, you know, like you said, if we do all this together, we'll get through it together and we'll be able to be together, whether it's this summer or the fall or, you know, we're going to keep camp going because as you said earlier, there's too much meaning for it not to happen. It's, it's so important in so many people's lives um, and creates this wonderful ripple effect for the rest of their life. So we just need to hold fast and be hopeful and get it done. Right. Totally. And, uh, you know, and take care of ourselves and help others take care of themselves yep. in, this, in this challenging time. And, uh, you know, one of our camps, I just led a uh, webinar about surviving and thriving in uncertain times. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think camp people are leaders in adaptability. I mean, we have to adapt the time at camp, you know, might be the power goes out or, you know, <laughs> the water, you know, the water uh, tank is empty for, you know, a minute and, you know, people can't, you know, use the water, yep. electric storm or something that happened. And then, uh, or there's a rainy day or it's terribly hot for the last four days. Like we constantly are adapting our schedules and figuring it out. And, you know, we are people that are resilient. We teach that. And I think we should, you know, we can bring that sort of attitude to uh, continue to bring that attitude to our families that we can work it out. There's just some things that are harder to adapt to. Right. Adapt. Yeah, I was at the note from uh, Tom Rosenberg and Scott Brody uh, recently called the camping profession leaders, the champions of change and masters of management. And I, I love that. We, we definitely have to be flexible and, and usually do a pretty darn good job doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, you know, it's so nice having you around the campfire, Bobby. It's, it's great to connect with you this way. And um, I appreciate all the wisdom and the experience that you shared with people going forward and the message you've got for all of us going forward, because it's, it's an important one. So uh, as we douse the campfire here, I'll, I'll let you get back to preparing for the summer and connecting with your families and your staff and keeping everybody hopeful and grateful and, and moving forward. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, great to be with you too, Cole. Important discussion to have, and I thank you for reaching out. And I'm wishing you and everybody at Camp Wequaic a, a great summer ahead, a healthy time, and 
plenty of joy. Awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Okay, cool. Take care. We're all going to get through this. The future won't be just like the past, but it never is. If we're intentional about where we place our attention, we'll have a better way forward. Have you done something that you're proud of today? There's still time if you haven't. Have you helped someone else today with a kind word or a good deed? Same thing. There's still time. I appreciate Bobby sharing the story of Camp Coleman closing for a session and the lessons that he learned through that experience. We don't know if camps will open this summer or not. Unlike Bobby's situation in 2009, though, we all have a chance to plan and pivot and plan again. If we all, camps, schools, families, businesses, remain flexible and do all we can to take care of one another, we'll come out of this stronger and more connected than we were in the past. And that would be a really nice change for the future. Those things which are truly meaningful will make it through this. Summer camp is certainly one of them. Hopefully, we'll take this opportunity to examine that which is most meaningful for us all and put our attention there. Rather than consumption, maybe we'll start focusing more on compassion. Rather than fear, we'll all start focusing more on gratitude. It boils down to something that John Wesley said a long time ago. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. If we can do that, our future will be mighty bright indeed. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll share it with a friend and also leave a review on whatever service you're listening to. More good reviews help these ideas spread. Until we speak again, stay safe, stay patient, and stay hopeful. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. Scope stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at supportscope.